Of course, the title of the message is Great Joy in the City, or How Do We Get Great Joy into the Cities of the World? When I went, first went to Eastern Europe after the fall of communism, uh, we met the communist uh, people who were surviving after that fall. I say communists. Communism isn't dead. It's just hidden. It doesn't die after 50 years. It still lingers around. But it deprived everyone of any ambition, any desire to better themselves. They would work and give the proceeds to the fatherland or the government. And so I met a lot of discouraged people, heartbroken people, devastated people, depressed people. And the gypsies being on the very bottom of society uh, were the ones who were the most depressed and discouraged. And uh, it broke my heart to see their lack. Uh, we Americans, we like to give. And to see children who didn't have food, we have now four feeding centers where we feed over 200 children. I don't even know what the count is anymore. Uh, one meal a day, five days a week. And you'd say, Brother Stevens, are you there to feed every hungry gypsy kid in Eastern Europe? It's not possible. Jesus said, you have the poor with you always. But I heard a Haitian missionary say it's very difficult to preach the gospel to growling stomachs. They're not thinking about the things of the spirit. They're thinking about the things of the flesh. And in John chapter 6, Jesus did feed the multitudes. And then he said, labor not for the meat that perishes. We preach the gospel. We rend these children to Christ and their families to Christ. And as a result, God, God is being glorified. Souls are being saved and the churches are growing. But they were such a depressed people. And as we presented the gospel and as they became recipients of the good news of Jesus Christ, my wife and I would go to the open-air markets. We just didn't want to reach just our people, the Roma. We wanted to reach Romanians. And we go to the open-air markets. We didn't know any Romanian. We spoke gypsy fluently. But we would take a handful of Romanian gospel tracts, and we stand in the open-air markets. And, of course, prior to the fall of communism, you couldn't pass out literature. It wasn't allowed. But as we would pass out that literature, we learned two Romanian words, vestebuna. Uh, and Vestebuna means good news. And we would pass out those tracks and say Vestebuna, and faces that had frowns on them would turn upside down into smiles. They didn't know what was in the gospel track, but they hadn't heard any good news in a long time. And so we brought the good news of Jesus Christ, but I want to look at our passages of Scripture, and I want you to see what is the process, what is the pathway what is the prescription, if you will, to get great joy into the cities of the world? Uh, the Samaritans in our story, and of course throughout Scripture, were a people that the Jews did not want to have fellowship with. They remind me of my Roma people. The term for gypsy in Romania, Tsigan. In Greece, it's the Giftos. In Spain, it's Gitanos. In Germany, it's zigoina. It all means the same thing, the untouchable, the undesirable, the unwanted, or the outcast. When we first went to Romania, as I, we were walking down the streets with the Romanian national presenting the gospel to the Roma people, an elderly Romanian woman stepped out of her house and began throwing stones at me and screaming at me in the Romanian language. I looked to the Romanian national. I said, why is she so upset with me and what is she saying? And the Romanian people are very superstitious people. But he said, Brother Walter, she's upset that you're here bringing the gospel to the Roma people. She believes it's pearl before swine because the mentality of the Romanian people is the gypsies don't have souls. They're unredeemable. They're like animals. 
And she began to curse and said that we were going to vex the Romanians by bringing the gospel to the gypsy people. Well, we made her wrong, amen? And now we have churches and pastors with the gypsy people. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 9, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. My Roma people remind me of the Samaritans. But the, God loves the Samaritans just like he loves all the peoples of the world, for God so loved the world, which includes everyone. And in John chapter 4, it says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And if you know your geography at the time of Christ, he didn't have to go through Samaria to get to where he was going, except for the fact that there was going to be a woman at a well that needed to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And he brought great joy to the people of Samaria. Do you know that we have not coined the phrase the good Roman, nor have we coined the phrase the good Jew, but we have coined the phrase the good Samaritan, have we not? The Samaritan people of the world get good religion or get good grace, if you will, from the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we bring great joy to the peoples of the world? How do we bring great joy to the cities of America? Or maybe you're here this morning and your home is lacking in joy. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and there was a time when joy was in your life, but it's just not like it used to be. I got good news for you. There's a God who wants to bring joy back into your life. You'll only you allow him to. And so how does it happen, preacher? Well, how do we do it when most of the world is in great despair, when words like joy and happiness and contentment have been perverted in our materialistic culture in which we live, that we think that happiness comes from the outside in? I got news for you. I was married at the age of 16. I lived for money. My life was about becoming a millionaire. My goal was to be a millionaire by the time I reached the age of 40. At the age of 25, I woke up so disillusioned with life. I had everything that heart could desire. I had everything that the television set said that I needed to have to be happy. The problem was I wasn't happy. Beautiful wife, beautiful children, beautiful home. Sometimes this is without exaggeration. I'd get up in the morning and go buy a new car thinking it would make me happy. It lasts one day because I'd wake up the next morning unhappy. There was something missing in my life. It was, a, it was an itch I couldn't scratch. I didn't know what it was. I had been raised in lies from the time I was a small boy. My parents trained me to lie and to steal and to cheat. If I performed the con as a boy, my parents would reward me. If I didn't perform the con, my parents would reprimand me. That'll confuse a 10-year-old boy. And I didn't know what truth was. I wanted something real. I wanted something genuine. I was tired of the pretend. I was tired of the fake. I was tired of the phony. But truth was foreign to me. And I set out an adventure, if you will, a trek, a journey, to find the answer of what was missing in my heart. Little did I know that the hole in my heart was God-shaped. And all my life I've been trying to put a square peg into a round hole. But then someone told me about Jesus. As a fellow carnival worker, we're a closed society. I wouldn't listen to anyone outside of our culture. But nobody in my culture knew the gospel. But I was also part of another society. It's called the carnival industry. And they are a society of their own. We hooked up with a traveling carnival out of Canton, Ohio. He owned all the rides. We had the concessions. 
And we would never work with this man in the past. He was a terrible, wicked man. He was on drugs and alcohol. He would literally beat his employees in a terrible relationship with his wife. But my wife and I had heard that he'd become a born-again Christian. We didn't know what that was, but we felt maybe religion might have changed him, that we can start working with him. And early in the spring of 1980, we woke up with his traveling carnival, and we saw a dramatic change in this man's life. He was off of drugs and alcohol, had a good relationship with his employees, and his marriage was in the healing process. And one of the things that impressed me most about him was his prayer life. The teardown night is the most dangerous night of the carnivals when we tear down the heavy equipment, hitch up trucks and trailers, drive hundreds of miles to the next fair festival, like an accident, a piece of equipment could fall on someone. And I'd watch him go behind a tree or behind a concession trailer very early in the morning, three, four o'clock, and I'd watch him pray. And something said inside of me that he knew something or someone that I did not know and that I needed to know. He was a young Christian. He would fumble through the scriptures to show me how to be saved. But he said three words in the spring of 1980, you need Jesus. Now, I had heard that before, but it never came from someone who was living like they knew Jesus. The carnival circuit ends in the fall. The last festival of the year was the Loudonville Street Fair in Loudonville, Ohio. And I went to Mr. Dine and I said, Mr. Dine, you told me I need Jesus. How do I find him? He said, Walter, get, a place, get someplace alone with God. Tell him that you're a sinner and ask him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins. October 4th of 1980, in Loudonville, Ohio, I went back to my travel trailer in broad daylight. I knelt beside my bed. I looked up toward the heavens and I prayed a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I don't understand the Bible. I said, dear Lord Jesus, I don't understand Christianity. I told the Lord I definitely didn't understand the church but I told him that I was a lost sinner on my way to hell, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I even closed the prayer with this statement, Lord, take me to heaven when I die, and you know what God did at that very moment. The hole was filled. Never been the same since. You see, true biblical contentment doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. That's how joy comes. And we need to meet the person of joy, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do it, Brother Stevens? How do you take joy to the field, the foreign mission field? How are the missionaries that are in our conference going to get joy to the fields that God has called them? How is the Duartes going to get joy to Brazil? How are the missionaries that are going with Roma this coming week, how are they going to get joy to the fields that God has called them to? I want you to follow with me a formula here. It starts in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. First, there needs to be a preacher sent from God. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be someone who proclaims the truth of Jesus Christ. Philip was the preacher sent from God in our story. Who was the preacher sent from God to you? We were the preachers in 1995 when we went to Tinka, Romania, and now we have churches there and pastors there. The preacher is the one who must obey the call of God upon his life. It was Isaiah who heard God say, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Didn't God know that Isaiah would answer the call? Sure he did. But he was looking for a volunteer. 
And maybe you're here this morning struggling with a call upon your life and you haven't surrendered. Listen, you will not find peace, joy, or contentment until you present yourself at these altars to be used of God. I heard Dr. Charles Keene say, not every man is called to preach the gospel. Listen to me, men. But every man should wrestle with the possibility. I got three amens on it. Every man should wrestle with the possibility. Every boy should wrestle with the possibility. That means if you're going to be honest with God, men, you'll be on your faces this morning, say, God, if you're calling me, I'm making myself available. There needs to be a preacher. The preacher must be sent. That's what Missions Emphasis Month is about, sending the preachers. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Missions emphasis is about sending the preachers. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. At the time of the Titanic disaster, John Harper was 39 years old. He was a widower with a six-year-old daughter. He and his sister were traveling to Chicago. He was going to preach at Moody Church when the ship hit the night iceberg that night. On April 14, 1912, his daughter and sister were put on a lifeboat and survived, but Harper stayed in the very dark, cold waters of the Atlantic, floating on whatever, preaching the gospel. One survivor says this, he says, I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Hundreds around me. I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me and said, Is your soul saved? Then I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters. There alone, in the night, with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. There needs to be a preacher. That's the first part of our formula. Moving very quickly, I want you to look at the second part of verse 5. Here's the second component. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. First, there needs to be a preacher. Secondly, there needs to be a proclamation of Christ. This means say amen. This means really say amen. And these used to be flat. You say, well, preacher, what else is a preacher going to do but proclaim Christ? Oh, really? I watch him on television every now and then. There's one guy, he's got about a $200 haircut. His dental work must be 50 grand. His suits must be $2,000. He packs out stadiums. And you know what he says to me? You're good. I got a problem with that. I got to look at this mug in the mirror every morning, and I know that I'm not good but by the grace of God. And I won't mention his name because you might like him, but his initials are Joel Osteen. <laughs> they don't all preach Christ. There needs to be a proclamation of Jesus. Listen to me, church. Jesus better be the center of everything we do. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. What a job I have. 
I get to talk about Jesus for 30, 40 minutes or as long as the pastor will let me. I, I have a limited vocabulary because of my sixth grade education, so I'm always trying to increase my vocabulary. But I learned a word several years ago. The word is Christocentric. I love that word. You know what it means? Christ in the center. He better be in the center. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation of Christ. What do we proclaim? The virgin birth. His sinless life. His miracles that authenticated him as the Messiah. We preach him crucified. We preach him buried. We preach him risen from the dead. And we preach him coming back again. You say, you preachers, you've been preaching about the return of Christ for 2,000 years? Well, we're 2,000 years closer than the first sermon. There must be a proclamation of Christ. It's thirdly. And I, I, I entitled this point The Missing Link. <clears throat> you may not like this point, but it's okay, I'm out of here tomorrow. <laughs> Look with me, verse 5. We need a preacher. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. We need a proclamation of Christ. He preached Christ unto them. And Philip was always faithful to preach Christ. He opened his mouth and Jesus came out. But I want you to look what I call the missing link. And the people. And the people. And the people. With one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. There needs to be a preacher. There needs to be a proclamation. But where are we, where are we trying to get here, folks? We're trying to get to verse 8. Help me. Verse 8's the goal. We're talking about a prescription. We're talking about a pathway. We're talking about a formula here. What God has showed us through his word of how to get to verse 8. It's not rocket science or I wouldn't understand it. It needs to be a preacher. That's great. Got to have him. It needs to be a proclamation of Christ. Got to have it. But we can't do it without the third component. Oh, it's quiet in here. There needs to be a people. Mission's Emphasis Month is about getting the people on board. Because the preacher's not enough. Even though he has the, the message that God has given him, there needs to be a people who unite with the man and unite with the message to get great joy to the cities of the world. There must be a people. The people united because Philip preached truth. They united because he preached God's word. They united because he preached Christ. They united because he preached it with power. They united because his life matched his sermons. They united because they witnessed the power of God. Now those are three components that need to be put into the equation. You all with me? Three components need to be put into the equation. There's one last component that needs to be taken out of the equation. Where are we trying to get to, folks? Come on, class. Verse 8, great joy in the city. How are we going to get there? We need a preacher. We need a proclamation of Christ. We need a people. But watch now. Look at verse 7. Hey, folks, by the design of God, it's not just numerical that 7 comes before 8. You all looking at your Bibles? You ain't going to get to verse 8 until you take care of verse 7. 
Hello? Look what it says. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Needs to be a preacher. Needs to be a proclamation of Christ. There needs to be a people who unite with the man of the message. Those are three components that need to be put into the equation to get the verse 8. But four, verse, the fourth component needs to be taken out. What is it? The pulling down of the strongholds of Satan. Satan needs to be taken out of the equation. I don't want anyone to question my patriotism. I love this nation. It's the greatest nation in all the world, in all its imperfection. It doesn't get any better than the U.S. of A., and I've been around the block a couple times, I know. But do you know what we've done in America? You know what we've done in America, preacher? We haven't taken Satan out of the equation. We've put Satan into the equation. I'm tired that whenever there's a mass shooting, someone comes on television and said, where's God, especially in the schools? Where's God? Well, you kicked him out of the schools a long time ago. I'm not surprised of the chaos in which we live. Are you? When you put Satan into an equation, what do you think is going to happen? But you know what? There's preachers. And there's the proclamation of Christ. And there's the people. Folks, God has always had a remnant of his people throughout history. You are the remnant for today. And we need to pull down the strongholds. We say, oh, wait, wait, preacher, you're, you're one of those missionaries. You're into demonism and all that stuff. And we, we, we don't have demons in America. You're, you're in the foreign field. You're working with those gypsies. They're people of the earth. It's obvious. You can see it. But they, we, we, we got it all under control here. I've got news for you. One of these don't make you civilized. And you don't have to have a bone through your nose to be the mission field. You know what we do in America? We camouflage it. Hello. We paint it over. We dress it up. My people, people of the earth, they can't hide it. It's obvious. Listen, I've, I've seen witches come to Christ. I've seen demon-possessed women come to Christ. I can tell you the story after story after story. Hey, listen, God is still doing a great work, and if we want to bring great joy into your town, your house, your home, your nation, your world, then we need to pull the devil out of the equation. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. i got to finish. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And watch now, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, God has given the church authority. He's not the only one with the authority. The church has the authority. He's given you the keys of the kingdom. He said, what we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What we set free on earth will be set free in heaven. Amen? He's given us authority, and it's about time that the church of the living God rattles the cage of the devil. I saw a bookmarker that said this. When you get up in the morning and your feet hit the ground, 
that the devil should shudder and say, oh no, he's awake. What the God, what the God that would describe my life. What the God that we, the church, would be a threat to the devil. And that he would shake in his boots because of what Open Door Baptist Church does. That your faith promise and your grace giving would rattle the devil's cage. That you accomplish more for the cause of Christ than you ever have in the history of your existence.